What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined as always by David Lake. Second episode of the week uh, for you listeners. We said we would do another podcast if National Signing Day probably went the right way for Miami. And uh, guess what? It did. Hurricanes got major news on Wednesday beating out rival Florida for top 24-7 safety, Avante Williams. We are going to talk about that on the show. Um, also kind of break down just the overall finish for the Hurricanes. It was pretty impressive if you consider what they did uh, after a 6-7 and seven season through the high school ranks and, and the transfer ranks. We're also going to, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm going to share some stories about some behind-the-scenes stuff that uh, – Probably a lot of recruiting fans don't know kind of happened in the in the 2020 cycle. And then we're finally going to get into what Manny Diaz and Derek King and everyone said at uh, uh, Wednesday's press conferences. So, David, how are you doing on this uh, fine Thursday? Yeah, it was definitely a cool signing day for Miami fans, which I was trying to remember the last successful national signing day, like in February uh, for this program, I, I feel like it had been a while. So certainly it was fun to see Avante uh, pick Miami over Florida. And I think we should just jump right into that. You know, take us through, because you hinted at, at the podcast leading up to signing day. You know, maybe it was a slight Florida lead, uh, but Miami was in this thing for real, potentially making up ground potentially maybe even being in a spot to land his commitment. So take us through the timeline of what you learned since we ended that recording of the podcast. So I guess Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday night, um, going into Wednesday morning, and then you were there at the announcement. So tell us yeah. what we need to know. <laughs> um, where do we start? Uh, we could start on uh, really two or three weeks ago, kind of after uh, Avante took his official visit to Miami, um, there was some folks in Coral Gables that told me, hey, we feel very good. And I was like, that's that's fine, but you guys feel good a, a lot of times about these kids, and it doesn't really end up going your way. Um, but probably a week later, that's when Avante canceled that uh, that planned official visit to Georgia. I, I asked again, and they're like, yeah, we're, we're not surprised by that. We, we knew he was going to do that. And then, um, you know, they, they, you had the in-home visits and all that. So let's kind of get to this this past Monday, two days before signing day. Um, some people I, I trust and I talk with hit me up, and they, they said, uh, we're going to get Avante Williams. And um, I've heard this before about other kids, and it really hasn't played out. So I was – I, I, I guess, cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Let um, me stop you there. So I think we should put this in the context of, let's go back to the early signing period, right? When Miami was chasing Jaden Francois on that day. Um, you know, part of covering recruiting is extremely difficult to cover. Part of it is you got to read tea leaves. You got to sort through what Miami's telling you and maybe try and figure out what the other school in the, in the recruitment is thinking too. Um, but anyways, going back to Jaden, you know, Miami felt very good about Jaden that morning, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I and, mean, yeah. If you guys remember, I, I wrote like what the night before I, I was like, I think he's going to Nebraska. And then 
bam, the next morning I get a call that he's going to Miami. So um, I don't want to say it's the, the boy who cried wolf, but it's like, all right. Well, I don't it just w- makes you more cautious, I think right. is the way to say when that when that happens. And so you had this in the back of your mind the whole time with this Avante stuff. So anyways, go ahead. Continue yeah, with the Avante. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there, people are like, hey, you should definitely be at that announcement. And I, I live in Fort Lauderdale. I mean, the land is a three and a half hour drive. And I'm like, it, it, this is this isn't just some easy drive for me. I'm not I'm not going to St. Thomas Aquinas or, or Cardinal Gibbons like this is a trek. Um, and I ended up texting Avante. And I, I, I mean, I've known Avante since he was in eighth grade, just like Ephraim Banda has and, and all those coaches. I've known him forever. And I said, you know, should I come up to this announcement? He's like, yeah, you should. Again, when you get that text, you don't know if he's just trying to get media there or if he's trying to make a hint at something. And as the day progressed, I mean, we I was, I was trading information with different people. It seemed like Florida still, still felt pretty good. But um, as Tuesday went on and after we did the podcast, uh, at one point I, I was told Miami – Felt like 95% sure they were going to get him. I ended up texting Avante one more time. I said, hey, man, I'm going to come up, and I guarantee you right now I'll be the only Miami reporter there. And he basically said back, yeah, I'm going to sign with Miami. Again, you know, kids can say this, and you don't know how it's going to play out. So I made the decision. Uh, I got in the car early Wednesday morning. I, I made the drive up there. Um, at some point along that ride, I was told Miami had received his national letter of intent. So I was like, this is the right move. You know, it's going to be a good day for Miami. Keep in mind, I'm not trying to spoil this kid's moment or, or ruin the right. surprise. You know, Miami wanted to beat the crystal ball. They did. Uh, they made it, they made a huge splash. And then the funny thing is I, I, I get to, um, to land high school in the ADs pulling out these, these cakes for the signees they have. And I'm looking down at, uh, one of them it says Avante, and it's it's in uh, orange and blue. So I'm like Jesus. Uh, <laughs> oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It so it was uh, it was it's fun. Like that, it's fun. I, I mean, it's fun because it worked out in, in the right way for Miami, and, and that's that's the team I cover, and the information was right, and it's just a huge it's a huge win. It, it really is. I mean, this is the nation's number two ranked safety. We talked about it on the last podcast. Me and you th- both think he's an absolute stud. Um, yeah. Highest-ranked kid that, that Miami side on the, signed on the defensive ball since Chad Thomas. Highest-ranked defensive back since Tracy Howard. I mean, this is a guy that schools around the country wanted. And um, I, since I've been on the beat, I mean, you, you mentioned this. I think I've been to, I don't know, every signing day or early signing period, I, I go to at least one announcement. And oftentimes Miami's the the one losing out. So for it yeah. to be on the other side, uh, I think that maybe improves my record to like what t- two and twelve uh, when I show up for something. So uh, it's big. Yeah. So let's let's take a let's let people take a peek behind the curtain too. With so I, I think another question maybe fans might have is so you told me that Miami relayed to you. I think it was around 9, 9.30, I'm not sure exactly on when the time was, Wednesday morning, that, you know, Miami says they have his letter of intent. Um, so, you know, fans, these these hardcore recruiting fans and whatnot might wonder, okay, if, that ha- if Miami told you that, if that happened, why didn't you put in a crystal ball? And sometimes I think 
fans need to understand is sometimes you got to play the game and to get information you gotta you gotta play the game that the school that gives you information um wants you to play and so i think kind of is it is it fair to say that kind of the quote unquote deal you had was you know miami let you know this was going down this was happening which for what we do is extremely valuable information to have, um, you know, when it does become official. But they they also at the same time, you know, didn't want you to necessarily hint at it in any any way, um, you know, via crystal ball or message board post or anything like that. Is that right. correct? Yeah, no, that that's fair. And you know, our our subscribers on the site, I kept putting out kind of some some VIP message board posts and. I try to hint at it as much as I could that this was an announcement that Miami fans should tune in for. Um, but yeah, right. You, you're right. I, like that, it wasn't a you know, there's no written deal or anything like that. But right, right, there's, right. there's some verbal agreements made. I mean, Avante, I think the the text he sent me is "Don't let the the cat out of the bag." And I think there was a lot of people in this industry that would have just ran, and they're more concerned about the crystal ball. I mean, I think I still finished. Number 11 out of everyone in the company, uh, I was like 54 or 54 or 59. Like, it, it's fine for me to eat an L here. Um, if that's going to help me at some point down the line, that's that's kind of how, how you uh, build trust. But before we talk more, Vontae, I just want to kind of, well, since I was up there, I, I, I did get a chance to grab him and kind of pull him side to side and get about four minutes of audio of him. And I, I think it's some real good insight into the type of person he is. I mean, I've seen him interact with other reporters. Um, and he kind of shuts down and, and he knows me, like I said, I think he trusts me. So, uh, why don't we just kind of take a listen, uh, to this audio and, and you guys can get a better idea uh, of why he's headed to Miami. Andrew Robbins here with Avante Williams. Avante, you just made your decision. You're headed to Miami. Um, you shocked the entire recruiting world. I think a lot of people pegged you to Florida throughout this, this process. Just, just why Miami, man? Uh, they're my boys, man. I trust them. Uh, I think they're gonna they're gonna develop me the best. So that's why I'm headed. Yeah. yeah. A lot of a lot of people think you know Ed Reed. Uh, he's kind of the reason why you're going to Miami. You know, he coached you up at the Under Armour game, and yeah. I'm sure you have a, a ton of respect for Ed. Yeah. I mean, he, he's a great, but he's not really the reason why you're you're headed to Miami, right? Right. He's not the reason, but he's a great guy, and I'm I'm ready to work with him too. So, why Miami then? I I, I guess. Uh, I would say I've been on like eighth grade, man. I, I was a little kid when I met, when I met, uh, you know, Banda and all of them. So I just had a great relationship with them. Um, Miami, when I'm down there, I feel like I'm home. I'm like, I'm comfortable. I feel like I can work my best there. And uh, I don't know, just, that's just, I'm like, I was born, I was born to be a cane, man. I was born to be a cane, so it's what it is. Be, be honest with me here, you know, you committed to Miami early. You backed yeah. off. Then you, you committed to Oregon. Was there ever a time where you're like, I'm actually going to go to Oregon? Or, uh, Yeah, but it was just entirely too far. I got respect for uh, Crystal Ball and, and Dante, the DB coach. Uh, great, great dudes. Just way too far. And it wouldn't, be, uh, it wouldn't be fair to my family. So that's the only reason I'm not going to Oregon. You know, Manny Diaz, I think he met with you two weeks ago. Um, yeah. What was it like in that, in that in-home visit? Uh. It was regular, just like another day. It was yeah. just another day. What do you kind of think of him as a 
as a head coach? Like, what, how do you describe him? We see him on TV. We, we know him as a D coordinator. You've known him since he was calling plays. What, what do you think of him as a person and everything? Oh, great person. Uh, he just vibe. He just vibe. Like, he just vibe. Like, he, like, like he my dog. So Yeah. You are going to show up in, in May, I'm assuming. Uh, you know, Miami's got some, some talents and safeties already on the roster. Yeah. What are your expectations year one? What are you, what are you hoping to do and everything like that? Uh, really, I just want to learn the playbook. I want to get, I want to get everything down pat, get my technique better, and I want to get on the field as soon as possible. I just want to learn from the guys in front of me. Do you, is that defensive scheme appealing? I mean, Ephraim Bonda, you know, he's put guys in the league, Jaquan Johnson, yeah. Sheldrick Redwine, Rayshon Jenkins. I mean, was that brought up to you? Do you notice that? I mean, what yeah, do you think about and, the and the, it? The opportunity to get an interception is like, is great because they forcing the ball a lot quick. So I've seen them boys get a lot of picks. Uh, them boys aggressive. Um, so, yeah. The last I couple. Defense. <laughs> last couple ones right here. Did you ever tell Florida you weren't coming? Like, no, nah, <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. You just never told them? Nah. Okay. Yeah. And then when you told Miami that you were coming, what was the reaction from them? I mean, I saw you FaceTime in DVD, so. Yeah, he was just like, why you playing me like that? But I ain't know. I really didn't know. Yeah. I saw that there was a cake out here in, in orange and blue. What did oh, it was a cake out there? Yeah, it was in orange and blue. It wasn't even. I don't know. I ain't got nothing to do with that cake. Yeah. Okay, man. Well, I, I'm, I'm excited for you. And uh, I just your, your final message for Miami fans. What do they need to know about you? Uh, I'm locked in. I ain't going nowhere. That work. All right, man. That's Avante Williams. Thank you. Yeah, it was good stuff hearing from Avante there. Um, I know I can relay. You know, on Wednesday, I was at the uh, signing day press conferences that, that Miami held where Manny Diaz talked, Ed Reed talked, uh, Rhett Lashley talked, and then some some players talked. But going back to Avante, um, you know, it was it was clear that Manny was ecstatic that Avante chose Miami. He mentioned, you know, just talking about him as a player, how explosive he is, how dynamic he is as an athlete. He felt like Avante, just his vibe, the way he is, he he felt he always felt like he was kind of a quote unquote true cane at heart, uh, you know, going back to eighth grade and 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 dealing with Avante a little bit myself. I can definitely see where Manny's coming from when he says something like that. And then Ed Reed, you know, he was asked to he uh, he worked with Avante at the Under Armour All-American game week as a coach there. And, uh, you know, he was asked, what type of relationship do you have with Avante? And he's like, well, really, you know, it's just kind of a week long relationship. But uh, I did enjoy working with him. And Ed Reed also mentioned like his athleticism definitely flashed there, too. He's got a lot of ability. He just needs to clean up his technique on some things, which that's pretty much every high school player in the country. But Ed Reed, <laughs> Ed Reed certainly has a lot of uh, respect for Avante's ability and potential. And I don't think anyone's going to come out and say, you know, a reason why Avante picked Miami is because of Ed Reed. I think, you know, look, Ephraim Bana deserves most of the credit for putting in the time and work and recruiting Avante. But part of me does think maybe the thing, like if this was a 50-50-ish type battle between Miami and Florida, which 
it sounds like it kind of was. Uh, go I, ahead. I, I don't know. Someone wrote a story, and I didn't. I, I think it, it must have been the athletic. It only just came up with my timeline, but someone I guess was embedded in Florida's kind of war room on signing day, and, and they had a they had a quote from I think Ron English, the safeties coach, and he was like shocked that um, Avante had, had picked Miami. So. Right. I, I do think it was. I, I, I mean, Avante just said in, in that audio he never told Florida he wasn't coming. So I, I do really think this was fifty-fifty. And so I'm, I'm just saying, like you know, the chance to work with and learn from Ed Reed in some way. You know, we'll get into what Ed Reed's duties will be later in the podcast. But he's going to be around. He's going to work. He's, he's an expert with the safety position. Um, you know, look, man, Avante's going to wanna. He's got two kids he's gonna want to uh get to the nfl and and have a career in football and if there's a guy to pick a brain with that can help him get there i can't think of a better person than ed reed so you know kudos to manny for adding ed reed kudos to Ephraim banna for putting in the time and work and not giving up in this recruitment i think that is also a lesson i hope miami learns from this because if you keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, sometimes these tough battles go your way. So, yeah. Well, that was another thought I kind of had when I was driving back uh, to my residence, you know, that three hour boring drive across the state. Um, Miami got some kids back that decommitted kind of early. Avante's one of them. Elijah Roberts would be another. Keyshawn Washington. I mean, everyone wants to make the big deal kind of about the decommitments, but it seems like. I think the number is like 18 or I don't, I don't really know what it is off the top of my head. I'm, I'm just kind of glancing at the list. It, it seems like Miami kind of had a chance to get some of the guys they wanted back, back, if, if that makes sense. And that should make you maybe feel good moving forward. I mean, let's look at who's already decommitted in, in, in the 2021 cycle. Excuse me. The, the first one that jumps off in, in my head is, is James Williams, the, the five-star safety out of, uh, I think he's out of, American heritage now implantation. I, I'm not saying he's recruitment's going to play out like Avante Williams, but you mentioned how Manny felt like Avante was a true cane. James Williams has said a lot of those same things at at different points. So, I mean, that was just something I was, I was kind of thinking about, but Ephraim Bonda does deserve a a ton of, a ton of credit here for sticking with it, man. and think it, a lot of people thought this was a done deal when Lorenzo Lingard went to, I did, to Florida. I did, for sure. Yeah, I was definitely in that camp, too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, man, I think a lot of recruiting boils down to effort and just continuing to push, 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 push. Um, was Has that always been the case over the last three or four years? I don't know in some scenarios, um, but it was definitely the case here with Avante, and it paid off in the end. And like I said, I hope to see more of this type of pushing for top, top, top level guys. Um, because let's be real, in college football, it's the elite players that separate teams from from one another. And Avante is that type of elite player. And, you know, that recruiting effort is going to pay off big time uh, for Miami's defense, for Ephraim Branda's coaching career, because he's going to coach a, you know, potential future star. Um, so, yeah. Everyone deserves a ton of credit for landing this this monster recruit in Avante Williams. Um, just kind of looking at the class as a whole, it's pretty good, man. 
I mean, yeah. given them for them, I think as of Thursday, I, I don't know if there's going to be a reshuffle. I mean, there won't be a rankings reshuffle. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with like, there are some players that are still uncommitted. I, I don't know if that's going to change the team rankings or, or, or whatnot, but Miami's finishing 13th after a six and seven season. And I, I wrote it on Wednesday night, you know, in the past three years, there's only been two other schools that have signed top 15 classes after a losing season. And that, that was Florida and Tennessee. And I think both the times they did that, that was a year after a coaching change or, or a new coach was in. And, and when you always get a new coach, you kind of get that recruiting bump. So it's impressive. It, it really is. I think I, and I don't really know how they did it. Yeah. I mean, look, you, you mentioned it. Like when you view it through the prism of they went six and seven and not only did they go six and seven, they had an atrocious finish with six and seven with losses to FIU, Louisiana Tech. Like the wheels were off. It was bad. Things were spiraling. They somehow managed to basically keep the early signing period guys together. Um, I understand they signed before the bowl game, but still, I mean, the FIU loss alone, it was impressive that the class they signed in the early signing period. And then... You know, I think nowadays, too, you got to look at the transfer portal additions as part of a recruiting class. Miami landed monster transfer portal additions in De'Ara King, Quincy Roche, Jose Gales. And then, you know, essentially they landed the best safety in the country on signing day and a four-star cornerback. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, I wrote it on the website on Thursday. I think... In terms of recruiting rankings, if you look at the big picture of where team rankings end up at the end of cycles, the goal, so to compete for a national championship, you basically need to stack three or four top 15 classes on top of each other. Miami just signed the 13th best class in the country, so that falls within that range. You know, they need to keep stacking classes like this for the next year or two um and manny diaz might really have something if, if he does keep doing that so no doubt i am surprised that they signed this level of a class because it is an impressive class and you know we did grades on the on the class which people can go read on inside the u the full article but our final class grades i know like i was somewhere between a B plus a minus, I couldn't, I couldn't decide where I stood on it. Where did you stand on, on your final overall grade for the class? I gave it an A minus. I mean, including the transfers, like there are some areas that you can't kind of overlook. I mean, cornerback, you know, I'm still not all on, on board with Marcus Clark, but given how the the year nationally and all that, I, I think him and Isaiah Dunson were good. The offensive lineman would have loved to see another guy there, but I kind of bumped it up. I think I gave it a D after the early signing period. Now I give it a C just after watching Jalen Rivers at yeah. quarterback. I mean, that's, that's, that's the lifeline of your program. Like that, yes. that's, that's is what it is. Like Derek King, in my, in my opinion is the best option uh, for, that was available to run Rhett Lashley's offense. And I think Tyler Van Dyke, while he might not have been recruited to run this system, um, there's something he, there. Yeah. He's got a leadership 
characteristics. And if you turn on the film, like he can make throws on in the run. So uh, you got to like the running backs. I mean, I, I give it an A minus given given the circumstances and all that. I, I don't know how much better they they could have done. I mean, think of it like this: Miami just went six and seven, right? Signed the nation's number thirteen recruiting class last year. Clemson, the the uh, I, what was Clemson's record in? Last last year, not this past year, but the year before that, then they went win a national championship. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think fifteen and zero or whatever. Yeah, yeah, they they signed the number ten recruiting class in the country. So, right. I don't, I, it's, I don't know, it's impressive. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the uh, rankings as well, that the recruiting rankings at the end of this cycle, only, no, not even. I was gonna say, I think Miami. In the top, there is not a team that had a worse regular season that is ranked higher than Miami. No. So Miami outpunched its weight class in that way, and I would argue they did it significantly um, by landing the number thirteen overall class. So, you know, Manny Diaz needed to have a monster off season to change the narrative change the trajectory of the program and i think he has potentially done that we're gonna see how it all comes together on the field starting this spring but i am kind of back on board to be honest to see you know what manny can do in 2020 that wasn't really the case if you asked me after the independence bowl i would have told you no way um but now i i think manny's got a shot all right, coming up on the other side, we're going to take a quick break. Um, we're going to talk some behind-the-scenes recruiting stories and kind of go into more of what Ed, Ed Reed said and, and Manny Diaz said at his press conference. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we're back after the break. And, you know, recruiting is is something where, I don't know, Andrew, how much of the information do you feel like you really, that you get, um, do you really even put out there? I mean, there's so much stuff you have to sift through, whether it's rumors, whether it's it's really stuff that is true. It's just a lot of stuff you got to work your way through. Um, but there are definitely some true things that... You know, you got to hold close to the vest and maybe not put out there. And in the end, it's not worth it to put it out there. Um, So take us through maybe some untold recruiting stories with Miami this this cycle that you think the fans would enjoy hearing. Okay, this is kind of 
I think what a lot of recruiting recruitniks or whatever you would call it, they they love the the behind the scenes stuff or the untold yes. stuff. So <laughs> uh, I'm going to keep it kind of short, but um, I was just going through Miami's offers list this morning and just kind of re replaying every recruitment in my head. I think the biggest nugget that a lot of people don't know uh, is that Fred Davis, the top 24 seven cornerback who signed with Clemson actually did take an official visit to Miami in December. Um, and during the early signing period, Miami thought there was a chance they might receive that NLI from him. Um, I know we had some rumors on the message boards. Remember Fred Davis made an Instagram yeah. post. He, sh he shot it down. Um, since I've been on the beat, uh, Miami hasn't really tried to hide a visit like that. And they did. I mean, um, the people I talk with shot all shot it down and it wasn't till after after the early signing period that I was finally able to confirm that, that Fred Davis was there. So while everyone was, I guess, dogging uh, Mike Rump's recruiting efforts, it's because really behind the scenes, he almost pulled a, a blue chip corner, really. I mean, probably the number two guy in the state behind Elias Rick. So thought that was, uh, that was pretty interesting. Um, uh, another one that uh, another fan favorite uh, of a recruit, and, and I bring him up just because offensive line is a position that I think a lot of people, including me and you, f feel like the Hurricanes came up a little bit short this cycle, is Jonathan Dennis. So I I've mentioned this in the past and tried to, I guess, make sense of why Miami didn't make a move for Jonathan Dennis. And from my understanding, it's because Butch Berry really wasn't all that all that big of a fan, which doesn't make much sense to me, but... I know after Miami beat Florida State, they played Louisville the week after or the next week, right? At home, right? Right? Or yes, yep. Okay. And, and Jonathan Dennis showed up to that game, um, and and from what I was told, as soon as Miami beat uh, Florida State, Jonathan Dennis literally texted the entire coaching staff, kind of being like, "Hey, you know, I'm going to come visit." So. What does that mean? I mean, who knows? He he ended up signing with Oregon and, and enrolling early there. But I do think there was a window when Miami definitely could have made a move. And we'll see two or three years from now what Jonathan Dennis is doing. But if he's a guy who's starting uh, for the Ducks, I think that's one that they're going to wish they didn't let uh, kind of get away. Oof. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Um, Some other good ones. And I, I think I told you this story last week when the uh, updated top 24-7 came out and they, they handed out the new five stars. This doesn't really have to do with, um, I, I guess it does. Uh, Gervin Dexter, the five-star defensive tackle out of Lake Wales, which is in Polk County, or, or did he finish his career at Lakeland? I think it was Lake Wales. I think, I think it was Lake Wales, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I probably sound like an idiot right now to, to some Florida fan listening to this podcast. Well, anyways... It was about this time last year when uh, Gervin Dexter was really making a name for himself. And I'll never forget, I was on campus and I was talking to someone who wasn't a full-time assistant or anything like that. And I'll preface this by saying they, they are no longer on staff. And I was like, hey, wh when are you guys going to offer Gervin Dexter? And, and the guy turned back to me and he goes, who? Like he had no idea who Gervin Dexter was. So, um, <laughs> And Gervin's a freak. For people who don't know, 
yeah, he's five star, uh, absolutely dominated Under Armour All America game. So I'm not saying Miami could have got him, but uh, I, I think there's a reason why that person's uh, no longer on staff. Uh, another thing I I looked at, or, or when I was going up and down the offer list, remember Jalen Carter, the other five star defensive yeah. tackle out of out of Popka, Florida. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think many Miami fans remember that he visited last spring for Miami's junior day. He was also, right. I think, at a paradise camp or two. So, I, I don't know. I, I, the options or the possibilities were there to, to I think, maybe get some, some top-end defensive tackles. But Miami really didn't feel like it was that big of a need this cycle. And, you know, they, they love the three freshmen that they got in Gerard Harrison Hunt, Jason Blissett, and uh, Angelo R. Holly. But I, I thought that was, that was interesting. Um, just kind of going through my notes here. This is bad podcast. Uh, uh, um, oh, Kobe Baines, the offensive lineman out of out of Jacksonville. Um, he was a kid who visited. I think the weekend of December seventh, kind of was a late offer from that from Butch Berry that went out. A little, he basically told me uh, uh, on Saturday of his visit that he was planning to commit to Miami on Sunday before he left campus, but he ended up meeting with Manny Diaz and left town uncommitted. So it took a while, but basically what I've gathered is that his parents just didn't want him at Miami. And from what I heard and was told, like his grandparents made the visit extremely difficult for Miami and Miami's support staff. Like, they were asking awkward, difficult questions in a group setting. Um, so yeah, that was that was a little weird. And really, I think that's that's kind of it. Oh, one more, uh, one more one was I got down here with Kobe Baines. Was it not that the grandparent, not the awkward question part and all that, but with Keyshawn Green, was it a similar vibe? Like, did his family just not want him in South Florida at Miami? Yeah, I think mom just wasn't wasn't having any of it and she just i think they get a miami sometimes gets a bad rap and it was kind of some of that and that's what i think kobe kobe bain's grandparents were kind of thinking which i don't really understand because that weekend they were staying at the uh the ritz carlton on like key biscayne and you know they pretty much avoided any bad parts of south florida at all so i don't see why they would think miami's such a bad place to be but i mean it is it is what it is. And final note I got, uh, Latari Kinsler, the the edge rusher out of Pahokee. Remember him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he ended up signing with Syracuse. I think they're in the early signing period. Uh, he visited Miami, I think, back in like March and basically told the staff he was committing um, and that he was going to return in the coming weeks with his, with his parents or his dad. I think it was his dad. And he was going to commit. And that visit just never happened. And he was the guy that Miami kept on the board. They thought maybe he could be a linebacker, potentially a striker or something like that, given his length. Well, Miami ended up sending a pair of coaches to his uh, his spring game. And right there, they dropped him from the board. They just didn't think he was <laughs> what they thought there would be. So it's just, just kind of funny uh, how evaluations go on and on. But that's really all I got. I mean, I could probably go in depth for hours and hours on it, but those are – those are some interesting tidbits that I just kind of wanted to put out there. I'm sure more will come to my mind. Um, maybe this cycle will do a better job of, of documenting them as they happen. But sometimes 
Yeah, the just, Fred Davis one's interesting. Was that the weekend before the early signing period? Um, Do you remember? It's whenever Art Basel was. Let me Google okay. that. <laughs> okay. And I guess the reason why everyone would want it to be quiet is because Clemson really frowns upon their guys, their commits. Uh, he's a Clemson yeah, so, commit, right? So yeah, it, 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 yeah, yeah. Like Clemson has like a no visit policy, right? So I wonder I if they know that, now. Even I don't know. Should I like just go in there and just put it on his profile? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So should we transition to the press conferences and and kind of just the overall yeah. vibe? What I learned. Um, yeah. Let me. Let me. Uh, let me kind of. Go in on you on this. Lead I mean, it. I was up in, yeah. I was up in Deland, only only Miami-based media outlet up in up in Deland. Uh, had a, had a lovely time in in downtown Deland, trying to find a place to work after the ceremony. Uh, so I didn't get to really watch anything. I mean, I've read everything that happened. Sure. Just what what was your takeaways? I mean, this was our first chance to see Derek King, um, hear right. from Quincy Roche and Ed Reed and all that. So what was, I guess, some some spark notes things we need to know right so Derek king we can start there um you know i asked manny uh what's just the first impressions uh i understand you know Derek. they're not the coaches aren't allowed to work with Derek or any player with a football but they can watch them you know work out and you know, in the strength and conditioning program. And they had mat drills the, the day before signing day. So they got to work with them there somewhat. And Manny mentioned that certainly his athleticism jumps out during those mat drills. He was winning a lot of the sprints during those drills. He was setting the tone in terms of, you know, leadership and all that stuff. Not, I got the vibe, not necessarily the most vocal guy, but just, uh, you know, willing to work, willing to lead, um, which, it, of course, is important at quarterback. Uh, I'll say just sizing up Derek. I mean, obviously, he is not, we already know, he's not the biggest guy. I would say, you know, he is 5'10". Um, he's kind of right on my eye level. Um not the not the thickest guy either, but thick enough. I think 190 is probably fair. So, and yeah, when when he talked with the media, um, I think just a humble guy who, you know, the main message he wanted to convey is right now he's just all about work, and I think he wants to work to not of course not only get better at his craft and improve his ability, but he understands he's a transfer and that he has to earn the trust and respect of the locker room. And so that's just kind of what his focus is now during the strength and conditioning portion and going into spring football. He mentioned a big reason why he came uh, is because he feels like Rhett Lashley's offense is very similar to the Kendall Bryles offense he ran at Houston in 2018. Uh, I mentioned, you know, in one of these articles I wrote on Derek earlier that uh, it did seem like he was 
kind of uncomfortable running the Dana Holgerson offense compared to the Kendall Bryles offense. Um, just the eyeball test told me that. So I, I mean, think, go real, ahead. I, uh, I'm not to cut you off. No, go ahead. Uh, did anyone ask him who else he was really considering? Was that like brought up at all or no? no. It never really was. He he did mention, uh, or I guess it was Rhett Lashley. Rhett Lashley mentioned that, um, you know, being state of Texas quarterbacks that are kind of the same age, I guess Dierick and Shane Bouchel, who was the SMU quarterback under Rhett Lashley last year, have a relationship and they talked a lot. And, you know, Shane, I guess, told Derek what the offense is all about, what Rhett Lashley is all about. And clearly that was all good things. And I think once Derek got comfortable with the idea of playing uh, for Rhett Lashley in his system, then kind of things progressed quickly. And they set up the visit. He visited done deal to Miami, et cetera, et cetera. He, he wasn't asked at all what other schools he was considering, uh, which looking back, it, it was interesting that that wasn't asked, but the press conference honestly was two hours long and we were kind of over it. <laughs> by then. But yeah, I mean, anything else you, you wonder that they asked, uh, Derek? Uh, I, I, uh, I, mean, I asked him, I did ask him, like, what are your first impressions of the skill position guys? He started off by highlighting the athleticism of the tight ends. You know, um, you could kind of tell he's never worked with tight ends, the caliber of Brevin, Jordan, and Will Mallory in terms of athleticism. And he mentioned the receivers, you know, he all he said about them was, you know, you can tell that they can really, really, really run. So... He's worked a little bit with him on his own, um, just throwing the ball. And Manny Diaz also said, you know, he hopes not only does De'Eric King uh, produce at a high level at the quarterback position this season, but he also hopes that he can set a tone in terms of leadership and maturity and showing the quarterback room what it takes to be a big time quarterback at the college level, which Manny is, he said this and Mark Richt also said this um, towards the end of his tenure that uh, they feel like the last couple of years, they've missed that kind of veteran presence in the quarterback room to kind of pass these things down to the younger guys so that they know what to do when it is their time in terms of leadership preparation maturity um and you know obviously that was an issue with jaron last year so with derek that's that's pretty much all i got okay uh what did you think of of rhett what yeah i liked him i mean you know press conferences or whatever but well, whose who's press conference was better his or danny Enos's? no i'm just <laughs> different kind of guys um but yeah i mean one thing that definitely comes across with rhett is he he seems very confident to me. He's confident in his ability to turn around offenses quickly. He kept he kept referencing Auburn how uh, I guess early in his Auburn tenure uh, they took over a really one of the worst years ever at Auburn and 
you know, his first year with Gus Malzahn there, they kind of quickly flipped it and got the offense going. He mentioned all these guys uh, on that Auburn team, like Trey Mason. I think he said Sammy Coates. And he mentioned Greg Robinson on the offensive line. That before uh, they got there as a coaching staff, they didn't really do much in in their Auburn careers. But uh, that first year of working in this Rhett Lashley offense, Gus Malzahn offense, they all produced at an extremely high level. Um, and so, you know, the message there is he's co- he's confident that he can get things going quickly at Miami. He said, you know, he is intrigued by the the skill talent they got. He mentioned, you know, specifically with wide receivers, he's like, you know, they haven't done anything really. Um, but he can tell that there is ability there. And he sees it as his challenge to put them in positions to make plays and take advantage of their ability. So, so essentially, me, so essentially make it so they can play fast. Right, right. The the main thing I got out of Rhett is in terms of the difference between him and Dan Enos. I think, and look, I'm not necessarily anti-Dan Enos. I think he was a bad fit, um, but I don't think he's a bad coach. I do. Th- my biggest issue with Dan Enos is he's not the kind of guy who's going to necessarily tailor an offense to the strength of his players. Um, he's he's going to run his system. You got to adapt to it, or else you're not playing. I think Rhett Lashley is more open to adapting his systems to the strength strengths of his players, and you know, quite frankly, that's what. Miami needs on offense right now to get the most out of their skill talent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Ed Reed, was he the last one? Did they make you guys wait that long for, for Ed Reed? Yeah, it went, it went Manny, Rhett, then Ed Reed, then De'Ara King, then Quincy Roche, then Jose Borregales. Two hours. What? <laughs> it's like a, it's like a featured film. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess, I mean, we, Talked about this in the previous podcast about what we thought Ed Reed's role was going to be, and, and you kind of teased yeah. it when we, we were talking about Avante. So, so go into detail exactly on, on what that's what that is. Yeah. So he was drilled, you know, which I think is fair. Like it's a question that needs to be answered because everyone wants to know. The main thing he was asked was like, "What is your typical work week going to look like?" Basically, you know. How much are you going to be around? What, you know, and, and qu- quite frankly, the answer he gave was kind of vague. So I still think we will we will still see and find out. But essentially, he said, am I going to be around 365 days a year? No. Um, he said he mentioned he's got an 11 year old son in Georgia. So Ed primarily lives in Georgia. But he said, you know, he's going to be around the Miami football team and program uh, as much as possible when his uh, father duties uh, permit him to be in Miami. Um, so the way I read into it, again, we will see how this all plays out. I, I think during spring football, he'll be around more times than not. I think during the season, he'll be around a lot. And maybe during some key recruiting events, but like 
now during the February dead period, is Ed Reed going to be like in the building, uh, working hours at the Hecht Athletic Center? The impression I got is no, he's not going to be doing that. But I do think he's going to be around the team a lot, watching practices, uh, watching most practices, and he'll be assisting in like a mentorship role for the players. He's going to also, like I said, watch practices, and he will, you know, have meetings with Manny where he shares his opinions on what's going on at practice. Uh, one thing Manny mentioned in terms of being asked why did he want to hire Ed Reed, he said one of the best traits that stands out about Ed is his understanding of locker room dynamics, team dynamics. He really he really knows how to bring a team together, um, what can potentially tear a team apart. And so if a guy like Ed Reed can kind of sniff those things out and be proactive or whatever the case may be, Manny thinks that is definitely an asset. And, and I agree. I mean, you know, I think in college football, momentum – team playing for something bigger than yourself because these guys don't get paid um does matter so yeah i mean look my biggest takeaway is ed reed gonna be grinding away 80 hour weeks no but he's gonna be around the program a lot and in my opinion that is always a great thing and i would rather have ed reed around the program a ton and as Manny Diaz's right-hand man, than not have him in that role. So, any clarification on what he can and cannot do recruiting in terms of, I guess, yeah. electronic contact or he said he can. Up? He said he can call kids. I mean, okay. that's what he said. I don't know. I mean, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. He said he can call kids, and Manny said he can you know, interact a lot with guys, of course, during on-campus recruiting. Right, right, right. I think it's kind of one of those situations where if the whole staff's FaceTiming someone, you know, he can be kind of there. Or, you know, how these loopholes work. Like if, let's say that Miami's recruiting a safety and Ephraim Band is like, hey, here is Ed Reed's number. You give him a call. Right, that's so, what I think they, they're going to do. If the kid well. calls Ed Reed, Ed Reed can pick up and talk to him. Yeah. Um, anything else on the press conferences? Or there's, uh, uh, I mean, one of the main, the, the biggest point Manny wanted to drive home clearly was he's working hard on changing the culture. And he feels like, you know, the additions of De'Ara King, Quincy Roche, and Avante Williams, I think in particular. In his mind, he was making the argument that being able to get those guys tells you that the culture is on the right track to getting to where it needs to be because those three guys could have gone anywhere they wanted to um, this offseason in terms of schools that wanted them and were recruiting them, but they chose Miami. Those guys, those types of guys aren't going to... Sh- sign with a program that you know the players aren't taking things seriously etc etc so manny feels like you know the culture does need work and 
hiring Ed Reed is part of fixing the culture, I think. Um, but he does feel like things are on the right track. He alluded to, you know, sometimes subtractions need to happen, and that helps your culture too. Uh, you can read into that how you want. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the main point Manny wanted to drive home was culture. I'll say Quincy Roche, you know, again, the dude is a stud, produced at Temple. I think he's going to be a good player at Miami. He was maybe a little smaller than I expected. Um, he's kind of, he's smaller. He's definitely like smaller and more narrow than like Jonathan Garvin. Um, I would say, and I know he, he's been listed at this, but I would say it definitely is true where Quincy's like 235, 240. Um, he was kind of a quieter guy, which, you know, is fine. Not everyone likes doing the press conference thing. And then Jose Borregales, you know, just uh, your typical respectful kicker. He's excited to be at Miami. Um, and yeah, mainly, I, I think overall the main message that Miami wanted to convey uh, with everyone is, you know, moving forward, they're they're going to be all about the work. They they just want to get to work. Which, if you are a diehard Miami fan and you followed the 2019 calendar year, I think that's music to your ears because, you know, Miami was brash. Miami did a lot of talking, uh, whether it was through social media or whatnot, and they didn't back it up during the season. So I think the goal in 2020 is we're going to be about the work, we're going to be a little quieter, and we're going to let our play on the field speak for itself. So we'll see how this new you know, philosophy plays out during spring football, which we learned is February 29th. So I think it's earlier start than last No, they said 29th. Okay. So it's going to be Saturday. And yeah, I guess... It's inter- it's different than last year, if you guys really care about this. But last year they started uh, after spring break, which was like mid-March. This year they're going to be starting before spring break. So the way it'll work is they start spring football on the 29th. Um, then they're going to practice, I guess, for like two weeks or so, then have spring break, and then continue practicing after spring break. So... It's coming right around the corner. Well, interesting that they're changing it up. I mean, I think when you're a first-year head coach, you kind of learn from your, not mistakes, but you're kind of evaluating everything you're doing. So there there might be a reason for doing that. Last thing I do want to get into before we wrap this up here, uh, Michigan State, Mark D'Antonio is out. Yeah. Um, and, And Miami also moved the UAB game to up a few days, so they'll have more time to prepare for the Spartans. Uh, I, I just think the schedule has gotten a lot easier for Miami kind of with that. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, you know, look, Michigan state might hire a quality candidate. Well, it's not but... going to be an art. It's not gonna be an Arduzzi or fickle. Cause they both have like publicly right. already. Uh... But even if it was look, we saw it last year, like the coaching transition thing typically is tough. Like it is a transition. Um, the players on the team weren't recruited by this guy, most likely. So are they going to want to play for him? Now with the NCAA transfer portal, you know, are the like seniors or redshirt seniors or juniors that have already graduated, 
are they going to stick around at Michigan State or are they going to look for opportunities elsewhere? Um, so, yes, I agree. I think the schedule got easier with, you know, Mark D'Antonio stepping down. Uh, I know Michigan State had fallen off in recent years, but, I mean, by Michigan State standards, Mark D'Antonio was a beast head coach for them, especially in the early 2010 decade. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look... <laughs> We said this last year, though, too, like the schedule is extremely friendly. Uh, That continues to be the case in 2020. And hopefully this year, Miami can take advantage of that and just roll out some wins. We (laughs) will see. They need to. All right, guys. Well, that will do it for um, this episode of of the show. You guys got two in one week. Probably going to be a few days until we tape another one. I'm, I'm going on a quick little vacation. I don't know what. Yeah. David's got plans, so maybe um, I'll do a solo one. Just get my thoughts out there. <laughs> I mean, is there really going to be that much news over the next like no. five well, days? Tell people like it's it's a dead period now in February with recruiting. Right, right, right. So, so it and there really isn't a lot of camps until we get into March. So I I, I don't know how much news or juice there's going to be until February 29th. So I mean, we're, we're going to keep doing a podcast. We'll figure something we, out. Yeah. yeah. Maybe some user questions or listener questions. Ooh, I like that. A mailbag. Mailbag. All right, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Take care.